Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time, nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends, and when I have time, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. Today, I have asked two of the most important people in my life to be with here, to be with me here today to discuss how they handled it when I was diagnosed with cancer, because cancer affects everyone in the family, not just those who have it inside their bodies. The patient struggles with fear, uncertainty, grief, and says, why me? And even what the fuck? The family members often are doing the same thing, but they feel helpless and sad. And what can I do? Because it's uncharted territory for everyone who's involved. But it's really hard on the family members too. And that's why I kind of wanted to have them here to talk about this today. So on that note, I would like to welcome my husband, Nate, and my sister, Cassandra. So Nate, tell us, um, give us the details about how we're connected. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Nate. I am Michelle's husband. We've been married uh, almost 11 years. We have a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old son, excuse me. Um, And we met at work and just kind of hit it off. And I was going through a really hard time in my life and Michelle helped me through it. And so now I'm helping her through the times in her life. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, you have definitely been my rock and I don't know what I would have done without you. So I love that. And the, the my rock on my other side is my sister, who is my forever person. And uh, so, Cassandra, tell us tell us about yourself. Well, hello. I am lucky enough to be Michelle's sister, um, but I would say she is more of my best friend and my mother most of the time. So she has stood by me through all of the chaos in my life. And um, now we're finally both adulting. And <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. I'm so happy to get to come and spend time with her and her family and it's been a journey. Through it the definitely has. And sister and I are 13 years apart. I'm older. So I definitely helped raise her. And it, I think, led to an interesting dynamic when after I was diagnosed and she had to support me. Taking care of someone who has taken care of you for quite a while is, is a really interesting dynamic. And I, I just want to thank you both for being here. Not that you really had much choice, but um, I consider myself an overshare. And I like to talk about what I went through because it helps everyone. And that doesn't mean that you do, but you're here because you love me. And I said, hey, let's do a show about how families cope. And so I greatly appreciate it. But we are going to talk about some of our most unfavorite times in life when I was diagnosed with cancer twice. Because at 49, I've had breast cancer twice, 2012 and 2017, something that you really never want to go through. But it's happened, and you know, almost nine years later, we're, we're surviving and thriving, but it was not easy. So I was diagnosed in 2012 for the first time. I actually got my diagnosis date on December 7th, which you know, I always joke that it's the date that will live in infamy, not that you know, my body is a uh, Pearl Harbor, but it's, I kind of will always remember that date. And the first time around, I had a young son. He was 
18 months. So it was, I was an emotional mess as it was. I ended up going with a lumpectomy and radiation because, gosh, and bless my husband for not saying I told you so, but my, he told me so, I know. My grandmother on my dad's side, she passed away from breast cancer and I watched that happen. So I had always said, wow, if it ever happens to me, I'm just getting rid of them. I don't need my breasts. But God, when it really came down to it, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, my son was young and for me, my cancer was not aggressive. It was caught early. And so I made the decision to just go for a lumpectomy and radiation and I was fine. Four years, moved on, everything was great. And then in the beginning of 2017, well, my right breast felt very left out and I had a new primary occurrence in my other breast. So I went ahead that time because basically, you know, screw me once, shame on you, screw me twice, shame on me. So at that time, I went ahead and had a bilateral mastectomy, full reconstruction, hysterectomy, and I'm now on aromatase inhibitors. So it's a lot that I went through. And I still, I still struggle with it because of the things that surgery has done to my body. Surgical menopause is a bitch. Um, anybody who's been there completely understands. And my husband is shaking his head yes, because he lives with my um, seven dwarfs of menopause. The sleepy, bitchy, itchy, I don't even remember, but cranky is definitely high up there. So it's, it's not an easy journey. And I'm so thankful that I've had these two people here in my life because they have made it so much better for me. And I'm, I'm just so thankful. So before I was diagnosed, Nate, did you have any close contact with cancer in your life? Nate, you're on mute. Nope. I gotcha. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, when I was in the military, my older sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer uh, and she went through a lot of that while I was actually gone on active duty for many years. So I'd only heard about it. Um, kind of what was going on. I wasn't really involved with it, but my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2010. She was also very private about it. I knew it was really kind of happening, but she didn't share very much about it. And that was also the year that Michelle and I got married. So we were really kind of focused on that. Didn't, didn't deal with what my mom was going through. Unfortunately, it wasn't there to really help her because we were kind of focused on herself, but with her being very private about it, it also wasn't, it wasn't in the forefront. Yes, and I understand that. And I was there with you, and we knew it was happening, but I, I will admit we were very wrapped up in ourselves because we were getting married, and there was a lot going on, and then I, um, it just, it, she didn't share as much as I do because I share everything. Um, but I have to say, when after I was diagnosed, she was a huge help to me in terms of actually talking to someone who got it. And she and my father-in-law were amazing helping take care of our son, who was a toddler at the time. But I really also felt horrible because I definitely did not give her enough support when she was in treatment because we're just so wrapped up in ourselves. But I, I didn't know how to help someone until I had been there. So I am thankful for her to this day. So, and I, I know she forgives me because she understands what it's like. But sister, how about you? I, you know, of course, like on your side of the family, but I was a lot younger when that was happening. So while I semi-witnessed it, I wouldn't say that I fully understood. Um, and I would say in proximity, there were some people in my life um, dealing with cancer, but definitely nothing, nothing that even would compare or, yeah, yeah 
not nothing like when it was my sister. <laughs> right. Not like your sister calling you literally in December, right before Christmas and be like, hey, guess what? I have breast cancer. And we kind of all just went into, you go into survival mode because you don't know what else to do. So my diagnosis was really the first thing that was thrown in your face. Yeah. And I definitely, I, I mean, I still don't know that I fully like have accepted it. I've always just, you know, been like, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. And and our our mom did the same thing. She has always been, that's just part of her personality. Super, super sunny. Um, Just everything's going to be fine. Everything's good. Um, But it's, it's also a place called denial, which, you know, which is okay too. It's, it's part of the stages of grief. And there's definitely a lot of that when you have cancer. Um, I'm going to switch back to Nate really quick because once I, I had been going in, I started going in for mammograms early because I did have a family history and I was 41 when I got diagnosed the first time, but it was my regular mammogram that it was found on. And thankfully, Nate was able to go with me for my follow-up ultrasound and biopsy and just the stress of sitting in that room and being so anxious. But so we knew there was a possibility, you know, he was able to go back and hold my hand during the biopsy and which is a whole thing in itself that if you have not yeah my sister just cringed uh, she's not a medical person <laughs> does not like it um but when I actually got the call that yes it was positive that I did have cancer Nate you were at work and I remember sitting actually right where you are now in our office in our home taking that call and I had to call you and tell you yes I did have cancer what was that like well, I mean, it was, uh, it really made me take a breath and pause, right? Because it's something that definitely affected you way more than me. It affected you physically. Um, it affected me as a byproduct, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, <clears throat> while I wasn't going through the physical aspects of it and I wasn't going to be going through the physical treatment, um, it definitely, you know, made me realize that, okay, this is just one of the, one of the many trials that life is going to throw in our face uh, and we need to, you know, bond together and work through it. That's kind of the way that you and I um, live our lives and parent and deal with anything that comes our way is we bond together and forge a path ahead. So it really was, you know, the realization of, you know, okay, so what are all the things that you do in life now that are going to be my responsibility that are going to come more my way that I need to pick up the pieces, if, for lack of a better term, you know, try and help out more like with our son, um, making sure that I'm with you going to the appointments. Because I, I mean, I can only imagine what it was like for you getting that realization and then having to do all the appointments and the treatment and things like that. And you kind of feel like you're alone on an island, right? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm only guessing that, obviously, okay. I don't, don't know. So by me being there with you and really going over and above, like I remember calling my boss saying, hey, my wife's just diagnosed with cancer. So at any moment in time, I'm going to tell you I can't attend this meeting and I'm going to go because my family comes first. And thankfully, the company I worked at at the time, that was also kind of their motto, that family came first. It was easy to to take the time off to attend all those. But I felt like I was really there in a life raft for you, kind of, right? Okay, you do have a support network. I'm here with you. I'm more in your face supporting you than telling you, Oh yeah, I'm totally supporting you and things like that, but not being there with you when you're getting 
the different news is and understanding these are the treatment options and things like that and hearing it not only from the doctor, but then you and I, you and I being able to discuss it after the fact, because it's one thing when I hear exactly what the doctor is telling you um, versus you relaying to me what the doctor has told you. Well, exactly. And anybody who's been to that first appointment with your oncologist, there's so much information they give you. And most of it, you can't make heads or tails of it because I remember just sitting in the office, holding your hand, just crying as the doctor is literally drawing a picture of my breast and say, okay, here's your tumor. Here's this. And it's, it's this fast growing and it's this kind and it's that. And literally all you hear is like Charlie Brown, like wah, 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 wah. So <laughs> I, I am forever thankful to have you there because you were that, that person who knew exactly what the doctor said and what was going on. And, and then we were able to go home and discuss options. And I'm very fortunate that my cancer was caught early and I did have options. And as I mentioned earlier, we kind of disagreed on options because I chose to have a lumpectomy and you were like, Oh, well, are you sure you don't want to have the mastectomy? Like you didn't push it, but you really said, you know, I think that would be the smarter thing, but I, I made the choice to not do that. And as I said earlier, you, when I was diagnosed again, four years later in the other breast, you loved me enough we can joke about it now, but to not say, I told you so, because in hindsight, you know, 2020, but it's, you know, so I'm just incredibly thankful that you did not, you know, rub that in a little bit. Now, now we can joke about it, but, um, and sister, we've, we don't live in the same state and we have not for, I, I don't even know, 15, 16 years, but we've are super close as adults. And now we talk almost every day. But back then you were busy with work and living it up because you were in your late 20s. And as I said, I'm 13 years older and I helped raise you. But then you were put into a position of having to support me from afar. So how was that for you? Um, I mean, I still think I I spent the majority of it just trying to be positive and in a major way in denial because there was no way on this planet that you were leaving me um, (laughs) or that you weren't going to be okay. So I just was trying to put every bit of positive energy into the universe. And, you know, I listened to the big words that you would say when you came back from the doctor, but like, I won't pretend like I could understand. Um, I was just like, yeah, cool. All right. Going to be fine. Um, (laughs) You know, get the mastectomy. Let's get rid of it. Um, You know, (laughs) going to be great here. Um, So, yeah, it was it was interesting not being able to physically be there with you. Um, Mm -hmm. Interesting, difficult, but again, I, I feel like I couldn't even really grasp the situation. And I knew that Nate was there with you. So that was very calming for me, knowing that he was there taking care of you. Um, Because I just, I, I don't know that I would have been strong enough to really understand the severity of the situation. Well, I think you don't, you never know until you're actually there. And the first time around was much easier treatment wise for me. And the second time around, you were there 100%. And we'll talk about that in our next segment, but we do have to take a quick break. So please stay with us. If you would like, you can make a donation on our website by texting or by texting BF radio to 41444 to help breast friends continue on its mission to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone. 
Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444. Or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices by enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient. We protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. I'm Michelle Beck, and joining me today are my husband, Nate, and my sister, Cassandra. We've been talking about how they held me up literally and figuratively when I had cancer. So Nate, since we had our son and I became a stay-at-home mom, you're the moneymaker in the family. It's you're, you know, we joke every day that you're going to make the donuts, which is some obscure reference to a commercial that I've never seen and I don't understand. However, after being together for 13 years, I still say, oh, you're going to make the donuts. Uh, <laughs> and while you made it to every appointment with me as much as possible, and held my hand, you know, during, before and after surgeries, you still had to work. How did you balance that need to work, but wanting to be home with me? Well, I think that knowing that you were not, well, so I would say that when you were diagnosed, we made a, um, a decision, right? That you were going to fight this. You were going to do whatever it took to get through this. You were working part-time at that time because we had our son. So you, we'd already kind of had the decision of you weren't going to go back to work full time. But when this happened, it was really the, you know, you need to take care of yourself. You need to put all of your time and effort into fighting this and doing what you need to do. So therefore, to me, it was kind of a no brainer that I had to work and I had to be there to make sure that 
money went into the bank account so that you could take it out of the bank account and pay all the bills because that was also the joke. I put the money in the account, you take it out. Um, Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? <laughs> maybe. Uh, hey, I used to put a lot of money into the accounts. Like, I'm not I, saying you don't or you didn't. I now, don't now anymore. I do. Right. So, I mean, but it was also that I knew, like I said, that you needed to not be on an island. You needed to have that support raft, right? Because I think that's the most important thing. Like I went through a lot of stuff when I was in the military and I know how important it is to have a support system, right? That's really the guiding light. If, you know, they say, no, when you see the light in the tunnel, you know, that's the bad thing. That's not really what it is. The light in the tunnel could be the support, you know, coming to help you, the people that are coming to, you know, pull you out of the bad situation and everything else. So that's really what I was trying to do is make sure that you knew that I was always there that I would do whatever I could. I would drop anything at a moment's notice uh, to come home. Like you didn't feel good. You were sore. Jackson had something needed to do. Like I literally would be like, what's my calendar look like? Oh, I have 45 minutes. That's fine. I'm going to get home. And I would come home and do whatever I could before I had to hop on a, another video call or something like that with a customer um, to, you know, go sell more stuff to make more money. Well, it's definitely appreciated, but I know it's a lot to handle because it's, I, even as the patient, I see how hard this is on caregivers. And we actually were going through a really hard time, um, especially the second time around. So the first time was my treatment was easier. The second time around, it was a lot. And it was an extremely busy work time for you. It was, and my stepson, who was 16 at the time, and a handful to say the least. Um, I love him now. He's great. Um, back then, not so great. Uh, <laughs> Teenagers are a whole special breed of humans. That is for sure. But anyway, that year, my treatment year, you were gone 200 nights on the road, which is which is pretty nuts. And I was an anxious mess during treatment. So you were on the road trying to hold it together for me, who's home dealing with a teenager and a five-year-old. How did you hold it all together without losing your mind? Um. I would say alcohol, but that's not, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it helps when you're on the road, but it's not everything. Right. I mean, it it doesn't solve anything. It just helps, helps you get to a point where you can understand more of what's going on and deal with it because you're not overanalyzing stuff, but that's completely different. I mean, a lot of it, I think for me is I got really good at compartmentalizing things. Right. So it's my work is my work at the point. um, I had just become an executive at a company. Um, I was, traveling all the time to different conferences and speaking and seeing customers and things like that. Um, and it was that first big role that could be a huge, you know, the huge change for us. My boss at the time always just laughed and he goes, welcome to the boardroom where everybody wants to be, but once they get there, they don't want to be there anymore. Um, but I mean, so there was that aspect of it. So I was always, you know, always on during the day in front of customers or on a plane or something like that. And then, after all that was done, there was the, okay, and I'm going to FaceTime you or we're going to, you know, get on a face-to-face and chat and see how things are going. And then I'd hear the misery that you went through that day with, you know, treatment or with Hunter and the things that he had done or what was going on with the school and stuff like that. And then that led to me calling him and having the discussion with him. And I literally feel like I had the same discussion probably a hundred times that year with him. Um, and he gets it now. I mean, we've talked a lot about it now, but... He totally gets it. But I think that's really what it was. And I think that, you know, my ability to compartmentalize probably came from my background, right? Being able to really focus on what's in front of you and not look at the whole thing, right? You know that there's six moving pieces and they all have to 
they all need their own attention, but they don't all need the attention at the same time, right? Because if you try and take your attention and divide it by six, good luck being good at anything. So it literally was picking and choosing the moments to focus on the things that were in front of me at that time that needed the most attention, right? Yep. And I know you and how you want to make everything better, but how did it feel when you couldn't actually fix me? Well, I mean, you wouldn't let me cut you with a knife, so I definitely couldn't do that. <laughs> right, but, but you know, there's a lot of a lot of my issues personally. Like, I'm very emotional and I'm very anxious. Who's and, to say that I couldn't fix you? Right, I did it, but I did it differently. I didn't do it the way that you traditionally would say. Let me fix all your problems. What I did is, I was a support network. I listened to you. I talked to you about the things that were important to you. I heard what you were saying to me and I echoed it back in you in a way that validated your own feelings and things like that. So in a way, I was working to try and help fix you, if you will. But I'm not a professional. I'm not a doctor. I know that that wasn't there. But what you really needed was somebody who you could laugh with, you could cry with, that you could hold my hand, that you could tell me the things that were scary to you and things like that and would listen and pay attention. Right. And that's what my job was at that time for you was to do that. So if you want to if you want to say that wasn't me fixing you, fine, it wasn't. But you know what? It's what it's what you needed at that moment in time. It's what you needed the most for me. And that's what I gave you. Gosh, you're making me like all teary now. And it's been like years. We don't talk about it. It's in our past. So it is in our past. And and I I appreciate you opening up today because I know it was a really hard time for for us back then. But Sister, you you had to deal with this differently. And while we were in different states, you did something, you supported me with phone calls and obviously the positivity. But one thing which I cannot recommend enough, and I tell people all the time, what can they do for someone who has is going through treatment? You did the amazing gift of paying for house cleaners for me while I was going through treatment, so I didn't have to worry about it. And I don't think I can ever say thank you enough for that. Best because, gift ever. Yes. <laughs> It, w- it was like the gift that keeps on giving because um, having someone clean your house and the meal train, which friends did in the area, is two amazing things. So I cannot say that enough. And when I was going through treatment the second time and Nate was on the road so much, you came and stayed with me for multiple, multiple times for weeks at a time because you could work remotely. You hung out with Jackson. You cooked for us, which I know is not your favorite thing in the world, but you're getting there. <laughs> And you did your work remotely way before it was the norm with COVID. So Nate could travel and do his job. And I don't even know if you remember this, but it was really close after my first, my, my mastectomy. And I couldn't raise my arms. I could not wash and dry my own hair. And that's something that you came in and did for me. And it, something so, so simple to you meant so much to me that you would just be there and do that. And that might sound funny, but thank you. I mean, I have this sister that has like the thickest hair on the planet. Um, so we def- you know, we had to figure it out. If it was the kitchen sink, I feel like we tried the bathtub. <laughs> I think we tried all of the things. Yeah, we tried all of the things, but we figured it out. And I don't know, I got to say, you know, I am very, again, like Nate, I compartmentalize. I'm pragmatic. Um the emotional, that part of it is, is, is much more difficult for me because I just, again, was not accepting that anything was going to happen to my sister, um, you know, worse than, of course, what you already went through. So to me, that was just 
that was the norm. Like I, I would not have been anywhere else other than helping you with those things. And, you know, I wish I was a better cook, but everyone survived and the kid got to school <laughs> on time. And like, you know, we had crazy hair day. I, I feel like we, you know, we got through it. We got through it. <laughs> We did. And our visits now are much more fun because we actually get to hang out. And sister now lives in Miami. Um, side note, we're, my family, we're going to spend two weeks with sister in August. And I cannot wait. Yay. Because we haven't seen her since November. So it's been a long time. Everybody, sorry. Sorry. Just total like squirrel moment. But one thing I, I really am so cannot say enough about you when I was going through treatment I'm sad and frustrated and you you were always positive and upbeat because that's just you weren't letting anything coming anything get you down to get me down because I was already down because I had cancer but you kind of almost pretended that it didn't happen like you had said earlier because you knew it was going to be fine in the end it was just a bump in the road and you know it's place called denial which is pretty important I think for some people because that's how they get through it especially you not liking anything medical or needles or you know anything like that Uh, well and I remember when after you had the mastectomy I mean you know obviously being sisters like we couldn't be closer but I just couldn't look I couldn't see and then you got the tattoos and I was like okay maybe I can look (laughs) Um, but it made it real for me and up until that time, like, I really just could not, like, I, I knew what was going on. I, I did understand it. But for me, I felt like just that power of knowing everything was going to be okay. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm a big, big proponent of putting the energy into the universe. And that was all I could do. So finally, when I saw the tattoos, I was like, oh, okay, okay, this happened. This was yeah, real. No, when, uh, <laughs> when sister was here helping me. She she would not look, and it's funny because being a breast cancer patient, it, we 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 like to show off our boobs afterwards. <laughs> yeah. um, like, look at my cool reconstruction, and look how my scars are healing, and it's it's kind of a rite of passage for us. But not everyone wants to look, and sister was definitely not one of those. Thankfully, she came after my drains were out, so because oh. there's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just like almost fell off her chair. There's, there's no way she would have been any help with that. So no. thankfully, thankfully Nate was amazing with the drains and we got to a point where we were like, okay, time to change. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you know, you kind of get a rhythm going. So very thankful for that. <laughs> so I have to say one as I, as I'm laughing now, but the first time I was diagnosed, it was definitely, there was a lot of fear and tears and the unknown. And the second time, Nate and I were in the hospital because I had a lot of surgeries that year. And how we dealt with it was laughter because we were pissed. We were angry. Like, seriously, I had to go through this again. And we made jokes because that was the best way through as we dealt with my impending mastectomy and then the full hysterectomy, like this was not our first rodeo in dealing with surgeries. So we would be in pre-op and the nurses and all the medical staff, I'm just sure thought we were nuts because we were just like, do, 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 do. And I am able to say that laughing with you and getting through that was the best thing. Cause you really knew how to keep my spirits up. Yeah, I mean, yes. that's, 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 I was like, I was like, that sounds more like a statement than a question there. But I mean, it was, 
I knew that if I left you to your own devices, that you would Hot mess. commiserate on what was there. You would literally just focus on the negative and be like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Oh my gosh, it's happening. Well, yes, it's happening, but worrying about it and keep running it through it in your head, everything else isn't going to change it. So there was the conversations of like, oh, let's paint this wall blue. And you were like, what? I was like, let's paint this wall of our house blue. Or let's paint this wall red or, you know, trying to get your mind off of that with different things. And, you know, it was a lot of those laughing conversations. Um, I was like, oh, we're pros at this. I wonder if they'll make stitches when write, write your name and, you know, do <laughs> things like that. Or I wonder if they'll give stitches in different colors so that you, we can play tic-tac-toe. Like, you know, we did all sorts of weird conversations when in pre-op and even in post-op. Like, I remember when you came out of your... Thankfully, um, you never filmed me in post-op, and I appreciate that. Oh, no, you would. No, that's a bit. I felt a little bit bitter about that because I'm pretty sure I asked you to. <laughs> you did, but the difference was I live with her and you're on the other side. So would have been funny. <laughs> oh, yes, it would have been hilarious, but not for me because I never would have the end of it. You would have taken that and that would have been the best thing ever for you. <laughs> but for me, it would have been like, the, remember that time you filmed me in post-op? And I'd still be hearing about it now. <laughs> but it, it was a lot of just trying to get to the point where, you know, you could move on to other things and you weren't living on, you weren't like focused on that. Like I remember coming to see you in the hospital and trying to get your mind off of things. And I had to be very, very careful because one of the first things I went to was that whole conversation of, you know, I was thinking about you in surgery and I think instead of red, I think we're going to paint the wall green or something like that. And you immediately started laughing and then it was like, Oh, stop. Don't make me laugh. Oh, it hurts. Because you were still had the, you know, you still had some of the pain meds, but you were like, oh, and I was like, oh, too far. Um, but, you know, it, it was just trying to always be up a beat about it, always trying to, to focus on positive rather than negative. Because the negative is going to come in and out of our life no matter what, but we control what we focus on. So why not choose to be positive about it? Exactly. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was really a learning process for all of us. And it's, I'm still learning. It's nine years out and... Being doing the work that I do, I'm so fortunate that I'm able to meet women who've gone through this. And I hope that this is also helping with listeners out there who have family and, you know, can say, hey, take a listen to see what, you know, two very different styles of how people helped, but they were both super important. But we do need to take a break. Uh, Stay with us and we'll be back soon. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. 
By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at Electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. I'm Michelle Beck. Thanks for staying with us today. I'm here with my husband, Nate, and my sister, Cassandra. And we've been talking about all of the amazing things they did for me when I had cancer and beyond. As I mentioned earlier, it's a process and a learning experience for everyone the first time around. The second time does get easier, but it's challenging. And did either of you find anyone else to talk about it with it besides me? And I'm going to ask my sister this first because I know that she's a little more open about um she goes to therapy because, God, therapy is the best thing in the world. So did you ever talk to your therapist about me or what I was going through at the time? Um, all the time. That was <laughs> kind of the one place, again, you know, like we discussed, I kind of lived in that beautiful place called denial. Um, but in therapy, that was the one place that I could talk about it and could, you know, understand I, you know, I guess the possibilities, right? Like you've always been one of the most important people in my life. And I generally outside of that one hour a week with my therapist, never even thought that anything could happen to you. But for that one hour a week was kind of the time where I allowed myself to be scared. It was the reality Uh, check. Like, okay, I can't talk with, can't talk with my family about this because you know, we don't want to freak anybody out. Can't talk with me because I'm the one who's actually experienced it. And you know how anxious I am. And I have all those thoughts in my head anyway. Right. So, you know, to, to anyone else, you know, the other, however many hours in the week, everything was totally fine. My sister was going through something, but we were going to be fine because we're strong and all of that. But in therapy, yeah, that was the one time where I could be scared. Um, and, you know, I remember strategizing with you, mom, I'm sure you're going to listen to this, but like, we would be like, okay, so we're not telling mom about this appointment. We're not telling (laughs) mom about that. And we would have to really, you know, try to protect her as well. Um, so yeah, so therapy, but it also, you know, in talking to that made me remember and relive, you know, my upbringing and again, how important you were to me. Um, you know, you weren't just my sister, you again, were my mother, my best friend and so many things. So like, really, like nothing could happen to you. Like it just wasn't going to be a possibility. Um, But I do. Yeah. My therapist was the one place I could talk about it because to anyone else, I had to keep that, that front and that face that everything was fine. And I wasn't worried. Um, You did a a great job. And if anyone could manifest me being okay, it's you because you have one of the strongest personalities that I know. And 
you know, I love that I had a hand in, in raising you to become the woman that you are. And I love that the friendship that we have now is, I think having cancer made it stronger because I needed you in a way that had never, I never had before. Like for the longest time, I was helping to raise you and guide you and I would give you advice because I just have lived longer. You know, we've had completely different life experiences now, but it, it really, I think, put us much more in a level playing field as adults. It was just, it was very different. And I know for me, therapy was amazing and 100% one of the best things I could have done. And I've, I've done it multiple times in my life, but after cancer, we had found an f- amazing therapist that we did as a family as well. And then I also did some time on my own to work through my anger and the frustration. So I, I cannot recommend therapy out there enough. Um, Nate, I'm going to swing back to you here. And knowing that I lived with you, I know you, you really did not go to, go to therapy, but was there anybody that you were able to talk to or could you, did you, I think, how did you process it all? So, um, well, I went to the family therapist with you, right? So that was good for kind of bring those things out there. And I help, I think that that helped you and I talk through some things and how cancer changed our relationship for us to, you know, work through those and be get closer together from that perspective. I know that you did your own um, therapy. I did not. Uh, so the, you know, I did many years of therapy um, through the VA earlier on in my life um, after my first stint on active duty um, that really kind of gave me a lot of tools about how to deal with different things, how to understand what's going on in your life, how to prioritize the things that are the most important um, so that you can deal with things. And, you know, that juggling of all the juggling of all the different things and you give priority to the one thing that's in your hand at the specific moment that I mentioned earlier, that's really kind of how I focused on it. I mean, I talked with, a couple of my coworkers, but not in depth, really. Right. To me, um, I always look at it. The, that just, I always think this is funny. Like you are definitely the overshare. You oh, talk 100%. about all sorts of aspects of our life and what's out there and all sorts of things with everybody. And I kind of look at you like, no, that's, that's art stuff. That's private stuff. That's inside the house stuff. You don't talk about that outside. I know that it's part of the way that you are dealing with stuff and how you are, um, doing stuff and everything else. I also know that that's how, you know, your goal is to help other people. And so talking about those things and bringing them to light, you know, that helps because other people will realize, Oh, I'm not the only person going through it. But Mm -hmm. for me, I still look at that like, no, no, that's kind of private stuff. We don't really talk about that uh, in public and things like that. So I talked about, you know, Oh, I've got to go to this appointment with my wife because of this, that, and the other. And I had coworkers that always checking on me like, you know, how are you doing with Michelle's cancer? I was like, well, you know, it's not me having cancer. It's her having cancer. And I'm there to support her and I'm taking care of the house, taking care of the kid, trying to make sure that, you know, money goes in the bank so that all the bills get paid and stuff like that. And I did my own version of therapy, I guess. I talked to myself a lot in the car driving to and from work. <laughs> I talked to, my lo- talked to myself a lot driving to and from different customers. At that point, I was driving, on your first diagnosis, I was driving back and forth uh, to Seattle a lot, like two times a week. Uh, and that's a three hour drive for me normally. And so I literally would spend probably half of that talking to myself about what was going on and, and working through the different things in my head, but kind of out loud. 
like putting it out there of like, okay, I know this is going on and I know that me wanting it to be different isn't going to make it different, but what are the things I can do to make it easier? What are the things I can do to take a load off of Michelle so she's not worried about this? Or what are the things I can do, you know, to refocus your attention on positive stuff versus negative stuff? But a lot of it was just talking through it in my out loud, right? To myself in the car. And I'm sure everybody on I-5 looked at me like I was an idiot. Um, but that that kind of helped me. And that came from a lot of the the things that I got out of the VA and how do you deal with, you know, stress in your life and bad situations that you need to not be in and things like that. So it's, it's really funny. I have to say a few times at breast friends, the idea has come up to have a partner's male support group and they tried it back in the day and like no one showed up. It just was not, not something that the male partner spouses really wanted to do because I think this is a huge generalization, but women tend to share more easily and they want the support from their friends, whereas men internalize it more. But you had, you have the luxury, not luxury, but you were able to learn a lot about how to deal with all of these things back in, back in the day when you were doing therapy at the VA. So you had the, you had the things in place to deal with it, which was good. Right. I think if I didn't have that, like, don't get me wrong. I think therapy is wonderful. Like I really, I think that if I did not have the therapy from the VA when I did, that my life would be very different. Um, and, you know, who knows what my future would have held. But I think that, you know, doing that at the time that I did it gave me a lot of the tools and how to cope with things that have happened to me ever since then, right? Through the rest of my time in the military and then through your multiple cancer journeys and the things that have happened in our life, like that's given me a lot of, of reality checks, if you will, right? Is this the worst thing that's ever happened to me? No, it's not. Okay, well, I'm not going to die from it. I'm not going to die from it, right? There were a couple things and we, you and I joke about it like, well, you didn't die. That's always a good thing. <laughs> and then was, there was also the jokes of if you do die, I'm going to make sure they bring you back so that I can yell at you for dying on me because that's not allowed. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's, you kind of focus on it and yes, life will throw crazy stuff at you and it's going to be horrendous and it's never going to be easy because life's not supposed to be easy. If it's easy, it's not going to be fun. You're not going to enjoy it as much because you're not going to have the ups and the downs, right? There are no peaks and valleys. If your life is flat, what do you find joy from, right? There is no peak for you to find joy from, but there's also no valley for you to feel the loss or the sorrow or anything else. And those emotions, while they're very different aspects of the scale, the top and the bottom, they work together and you kind of need that low to go with the high in my opinion, at least. And I think one thing that the cancer experience has done for us is to appreciate, appreciate every day. Like I wake up and I say every day is a blessing and no, you don't <laughs> in my I head. I do. I mean, I wake <laughs> okay. up, I wake up tired, but you, you wake know. up and you're like, I didn't sleep well. I'm tired. I need coffee. Don't ask me if I want breakfast. Cause I don't want to eat for a while. Like, that's what, I, that's what normally comes out of your mouth. Right. Okay. It's in my head that, okay. I, that I'm saying these things. Um, but I know that I'm incredibly fortunate. And I think we have also developed a philosophy that we want to experience as much as we can. Let's, let's get the most out of life because we've been shown firsthand how precious it is. And that is, is I think, super important. And it's definitely something that cancer or any life-threatening disease does to you. Um, do either of you ever 
worry if it's going to come back for me? It's not. Okay. See, I, I, no. I knew. <laughs> sister just like, nope, no, it's not going to happen. But also like, again, knowing that you, like you said, are putting that, I mean, obviously I know things are medical, but you are putting that positive into the universe that you are respecting every day and appreciating your life and your joy. And you took all of the necessary precautions. I did. To, mm-hmm. to make sure it doesn't come back. So I just have to stick with it's not possible because you're not allowing it an entry point. Well, okay. I like that. I, mean, I look at it and I, I, I think I take a different aspect of it, right? Do I want it to come back? Of course not. Um, but could it? It could. Medically, yeah. It still could happen, right? There are times where you feel absolutely horrible and things like that. And you have a really hard time with joint pain, different things like that, or random phantom pains. And that reminds me very much of the first, the first two times you were diagnosed. And there's always that fleeting chance of like, okay, this could happen again, right? It, it is possible. Um, even though you've had a mastectomy, it still is possible, right? Um, that's why you can't have grapefruit. We know that. Uh, that's a big no-no. I love grapefruit. I, I know you do, so but much. you can't have it. Um, but I mean, it's, I also don't focus on the negative, right? If it happens, we'll deal with it when it happens. I'm not going to live our life or my part of our life worried about the negativity and what's there. Because if I fill my life with negativity, all I'm going to look at is the bad stuff. I'd much rather fill my life with positivity and focus on the things that mean more to us, like our son, camping and how much you love that spending time with family, doing stuff like that, because that's where all the joy comes from. When and if, knock on wood, hopefully it never happens. But if it does, we'll deal with it when it does. We'll take it one day at a time again. We'll make a plan and we'll work through it just like we have in the past. Like that's how we get through things. God, I love your brain. I'm going to override Nate and I'm just going to say it's not coming back. Okay, (laughs) I'm I'm good with that. (laughs) Good with that. It's not going to come back, but if it does, my husband has a plan. I love a man with a plan. Um, So we're a couple more minutes, but there's something I I do want to touch on that from being a, being a patient and the work I've done over the past few years, I know how stressful it is. The strain that gets put on a caregiver or a support person and showing up is the most important thing you can do for someone in treatment. And you guys both did that in spades. And I, I say you really don't have a choice because, Nate, you, you put a ring on it for better or worse, sickness or health. And, sister, you are my forever person. But there are actually choices out there. And, unfortunately, often relationships can be broken because of cancer. And some people just don't know how to handle it. And they just they just peace out. I've I've had friendships which were forever altered for it, some for the good and some for the bad. But I feel like the majority of my relationships were made stronger for it because going through the tough times together make, as, as Nate, you said earlier, the peaks and the valleys, going through the tough times make all the good times better. But just I, the piecing out part just really hurts my soul. Yeah, I think that, <laughs> I think that if, you're, if you're in the support position for somebody who's going through this, there are two options, right? You either jump in both feet all in into the deep end and you help them float or swim or get to the side of the pool or whatever you can, or you walk away. And unfortunately there are people out there that choose to walk away because they're not emotionally able to 
handle it themselves, let alone be able to support somebody else. And that's nothing against them. Everybody deals with things differently. Mm-hmm. But I have a really hard time, or I would have a very hard time if I didn't jump in both feet, right? You are my other half. We've ch- chose each other to have our life together. So, of course, I'm going to jump in and do everything I can. And if you drag me down and we drown together, then so is, so it is. But I'm not going to let you go through that by yourself. Uh, I would share my raft with you. There is room for both of us on the raft. But I know, random Titanic reference. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I got it. Trust me, I know how your brain works. This is my show. I can say whatever I want. Uh, but unfortunately, we are out of time. And I, I thank you so much for being here today and sharing with me because... I love you both, and I don't know where I would be without either one of you in my life. So thank you. Um, out there, listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please visit www.breastfriends.org. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women don't go through cancer alone. Our show is available across many platforms on Voice America or search Breast Friends wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you would like to nominate yourself to be a guest, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.